0: Welcome back to the Coaches Rising podcast and in our podcast today we're going to be talking about desire and I think this is such an important topic because we'll we'll talk about the dopamogenic system which is playing out uh, often unconsciously um, you know a lot of the time it's the system that has uh, for example um, choose certain foods over others and so we're going to talk about how this system works and how we can begin to consciously work with it to relearn and the role of desire in that. And I think a key distinction is uh, the difference between our conscious minds, which are, you know we often intellectually get told what to do, eat this food, don't eat that food, but it's very um, kind of um, impoverished against the might of this uh, dopamine system which is driven to get these rewards. So we'll talk about how can we align those two systems up and install healthy habits that take us towards our goals that leverage this system. Uh, A bit more about the speaker today, we're going to be talking with Kiyosh Isselin. He's the founder of the Desire Clinic. He's a trained Mayo Clinic, trained wellness coach. (laughs) I'll have to say that again. And... Uh, You know, the Desire Clinic uh, runs online trainings, really teaching people about how they can work with Desire with this dopamine system. All right, so let's dive in. Here's the podcast with Kiyosh Isselin. All right, Kiyosh, it's good to be with you. (laughs) How's things?
1: It's good to be with you, Joel. Things are well. Things are about to open up here in Canada and I'm looking forward to it. And you're uh, in the heat right now, yeah? It is. It is pretty hot here. It's. It's the kind of hot where, uh, when it's windy, it gets hotter because the heat transfers onto you because it's higher than body temperature. So,
0: oh yeah, God. it's pretty hot. Um, well, then, um, in in a way, like maybe the topic today is um, you know a good. That's a good segue because we're going to talk about desire. And you, you, have, you run the Desire Clinic. And um, so I think, and I think this is a really fascinating topic for me. So um, yeah, like uh, maybe we could just start by just a general introduction. What is it about Desire that's like grabbed hold of you?
1: Yeah, so um, I, I stumbled on this topic. Um, I, I was a physiotherapist by trade. And, uh, I was prescribing exercises and I was realizing that what I was doing somehow wasn't tapping into people's desire system. And, uh, I ended up writing a book, uh, on my own time and I stumbled across the dopaminergic reward system. And the dopaminergic reward system is the system in our brain that is responsible for our experience of desire. Um, it's responsible for habit formation it's responsible for a large majority of our actions and it's supposed to evolutionarily speaking it's supposed to guide us towards health and so here we have this system that's responsible for a big portion of our actions and it's supposed to guide us towards health and no one's really talking about it and so as soon as i stumbled upon this system i just had to research more and more and more and i got obsessed
0: Mm. and um it's yeah you said like it's kind of always guiding us in a sense and yeah that's right yeah like it's always playing out in some sense uh whether that's implicitly unconsciously or, or consciously
1: absolutely yeah the, the dopaminergic reward system is where habits are learned and so all of the things you do automatically in a day originate in the system but I think mostly the way that we've thought of habits uh, is mistaken in the sense of it's, it's this thing we're doing automatically. But really, mostly what habits are is us chasing pleasure. So a good example would be something like going to the bathroom. We think of that as it's, it's just a habit. Um, but really, there's a sense of discomfort. And then we want to we wanna relieve that discomfort we go to the bathroom, we experience some amount of pleasure, and then we're back in our regular day-to-day life. And so it's a habit, but there's this sense where there's actually a moment of desire in there, there's a moment of pleasure, and there's a moment of learning. Because when you go to the bathroom, going to the bathroom is a learned behavior. And so this desire system is built into everyday tasks in ways that... Are just profound.
0: Mm. Yeah, and um, so why? I'm just curious about maybe, maybe, um, maybe you've already explained this in the sense by introducing the dopaminergic. How do you how do you say that again? I'm going to get there. Dopaminergic reward system. Dopaminergic reward system. So, like, I wonder what the benefit is of focusing on instead of focusing on habits, focusing on desire. Like, what does that make possible when you do that?
1: oh, it, it, it completely changes how we think about habits. Um, because in the habit loop, we think of things wanting to do things automatically, right? And, and in, frankly, I think habits have been misunderstood. We kind of think of a habit as something, if you do something repeatedly, it will lead to a habit. The challenge with that is, let's say I poke myself in the shoulder 30 times every day at 6 a.m., and I do that for 30 days. On the 31st day, I'm not going to just automatically be poking my shoulder because there is no benefit to that action. What a habit actually is, is when we've learned something new that, that's pleasurable. Mm. And so a habit forms What it, it's not about repetitiveness, although repetitiveness helps. What it's about is about the amount of dopamine that's released. So a drug addiction habit can be formed really, really quickly. But if we want to develop a healthy eating habit, we have to focus more on as much on pleasure as about doing it repetitively. Because pleasure is what releases the dopamine, which releases. So the focus changes completely. It's not about what you do automatically. It's about pleasure and it's about pursuing what you want.
0: Well, I actually think that's a great, great opportunity to ask you about that. So, um, yeah, you know, of course, you mentioned that, that, you know, well, I get a sense there's bad habits that are pleasurable, like being a a drug addict or, you know, alcoholic or something like that, or or addictions of all kinds, perhaps, or, um, but then, so how would you recommend people start to, you know, we could, we could play around with different examples, but this healthy eating one, I think is an interesting one. Um, How do you help people then start to work with their desire so that it creates like a positive habit, you know, that they can install?
1: Absolutely. So first of all, the system is designed to learn what is healthy. That's what it's designed to do. So it's not like we have to hack the system. All we have to do is we have to use it how it was intended to be used.
0: That's not how to me. That's not how it feels sometimes. You know, it's just like, oh, for sure. I want that cake. for sure. <laughs> Absolutely. But, but if you look at why you
1: want the cake, um, it's because it's calorie dense, it's full of sugar. Um, historically speaking, those things were incredibly healthy for us uh in the sense of our bodies needed them to survive. And so our bodies in a modern environment do get confused. Um, so the desire system can get confused in a modern environment, but how do you actually get someone from an unhealthy diet to a healthy one, which is what we, what we, what the, where the question started. And let's first look at the old medical model. Uh, the old medical model would be, I have to tell you what to eat. I have to tell you to eat these and these and these and these and these, and these foods. And then there's a constant battle between what you want and what you should be doing. And it's a battle between the cerebral cortex and the desire system, willpower, desire, and it's a battle that desire usually wins uh, just because it has more tools uh, to win. Now, the new model or the model that I'm proposing is how do we work with this desire system? And how does this desire system actually learn? Because this system is profoundly capable of learning. The foods that you like today aren't going to be the same food that you like five to 10 years from now. In fact, you're constantly learning to like new foods, deliciousness, and how delicious something is, is something that is learned for in a large part. And so how do we unleash that learning? And just by asking that question, we're already way more in the right ballpark
0: than just telling people what to do. Right. That's the common and- approach, isn't it? Yeah. Like this is a diet. Don't eat sugar you know eat healthy foods right and then you got to stick to it and if you don't do it it's your fault if, if, you, if you if you
1: don't follow the diet it's your fault you don't have enough willpower you haven't but when you actually look at people who eat a healthy diet they're chasing pleasure just like everyone else it's just that what's pleasurable for them happens to be healthy foods and so how do you engage that type of learning and frankly it's 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 getting out of the healthcare field and doing things like taking a cooking class, or appreciating a meal with a friend who really appreciates healthy foods. In fact, I think the more you talk about health, uh, the more you risk at getting at war with your desire system. And the more you talk about pleasure, the more you risk engaging that system and actually unleashing a learning that is quite different than learning that happens in the cerebral cortex, but a learning that has a more profound impact on your actions.
0: I mean, I think that what you just said there, I think is quite a profound shift, isn't it? Yeah. Like it's easy for us to skip over that, but uh, so much of what we're doing is, is not looking at things through desire, but yeah, there's this kind of like, uh, you know, I don't know, like Calvinistic or like, you know, I mustn't do this. This is good for me. So it just feels like a profound shift. Um, yeah. It, it,
1: is, it, is, it is an absolutely profound shift, right? It, it completely changes. It changes, first of all, it changes who is the authority. <laughs> um, because all of a sudden now we have to deal with this human we always had to deal with humans, but we thought of them as these, this intellectual thing that is separate from the body that is guiding them. Um, but the authority of who, is, who knows what's healthy also changes. So now all of a sudden you're going from an expert, uh, expert patient relationship to one where, how do I unleash that client's full potential And how do I tap into this desire system that can actually identify what is healthy when it is working well? And this is why I'm on this podcast as well, right? Because the coaching model is so much more effective at this than the old medical model of telling people what to do.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's, there's a lot in that. Um, and I want to talk about that, but I want to make sure just to take that example because you know, um, We can say like, oh, once you focus on desire, then suddenly um, someone's going to start making healthy choices. But I'm like, oh, no way. I mean, I think we need to unpack that, you know? So you said like, oh, if they go to a cooking class, for example, so I'm hearing, I'm hearing that um, there are certain choices that might emerge once they have a conversation about their desire, but I want to make sure we, we like really unpack um, how, because Yeah, like there must be a conversation about because somebody might say, I want to my desire is to eat loads of cakes. I love eating cakes. So I'm going to go to the bakery. So how do you help them make healthy choices?
1: So so first of all, I absolutely love the question. Um, Second of all, I am the last person who is like all about following desire. Um, it's, not, it's not about just following your desire nilly-willy and, and everything's easy. What I'm all about is understanding how desire makes mistakes, how do we address those mistakes, and how do we actually get to a healthy lifestyle through, de- through the desire system? Because if we want it to be durable and built into habits, that's the way um, that's most likely going to get there. And so, um, yes, uh, healthy cakes, or healthy cakes. Cakes are a challenge, right? Yeah. Um, and well, healthy funny, cakes right? are the answer. Yeah, healthy <laughs> cakes are the answer. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, but so so the answers are are so so varied, right? Um, you go from a cooking class. That's that's one example. That's the learning example, um, where dopamine, which is the neurotransmitter that's responsible for desire. Uh, Has been, scientists now think of it not as the pleasure chemical, but as learning chemical, because it's profoundly capable in this deep learning of what we seek out. So that's the learning example. But there's also many much more practical, or not much more practical, equally as practical ways of working with the system. So um, the dopamine reward system is actually highly predictable. And it will control, it will continuously guide you towards the same things, depending on your environment. And so there's environmental changes you can make. Um, in my house, uh, one of the things, my source of sweetness is fruits. And what I like about that is that it's, it's not, it, it creates this environment where several times a day, I think I want an apple. I want an orange. I want these things. And those are the thoughts I'm having as opposed to the thoughts of I want cake. The thought of I want cake doesn't even occur to me because my environment has shaped what I think about in a way that is actually, my desire system can help guide me. It's the same desire for sweetness. But in this case, it's driving to me what towards, sometimes I wonder if I eat too much fruit actually. Um, <laughs> because I, I eat a lot. I have a huge sweet tooth. And so, but it's still that same system is guiding me towards, and I never have quite the same. Sure. When I go to the store, I have the, the, a bit of a battle, but it's, it's all about shaping your environment so that your desire system can actually guide you towards health And in the short run. That's the short run. In the long run, it's how do you actually re-engage the learning? And personally, I'm sometimes surprised at how healthy my diet is because when I go to the grocery store, I am just chasing deliciousness. That's all I'm doing, and I go to the cart, I look at my cart at the end of the thing, and it's, people must think I'm a health nut um, because it's full of these foods that um, engage in, engage the desire system. And I guess, I guess I should go into like the one rule that I follow when it comes to diet, because there's very little that I follow. But the one rule that I follow to make sure that my desire system is more accurate is I stay away from anything that has uh, artificial or natural flavors or artificial and natural colors. Mm. And as long as I do that, because what those are, historically speaking, what those did, uh, a lot of nutrition, a lot of antioxidants are really colorful. Uh, a lot of antioxidants and various different nutritional compounds have specific flavors. And so if you eat those, you think you're getting a lot of nutrition when you're not. Right. As long, as long as I stick, stay away from those and I get my nutrition and my flavor from things that my desire system actually can understand. It's amazing what you can discover.
0: It, so I can imagine that's where the relearning is taking place. So you said like, uh, this uh, uh, system is being tricked, I think you said. Um, so that's an example, yeah, where these uh, artificial colors, or uh, um, additives have been put into food and it makes it look like some of these other types of food, which are actually healthy. So we can actually, that distinction we can make, we can then start to, you know, buy the healthy versions. And, um, and then in some way that we're starting to relearn a new, you know uh loop there um and i'm i'm just wondering so um i like when you talk about the environment changing the environment to support our uh our um you know desires and and healthy choices and I, i in some ways i i find that so um it's such a powerful thing to do and i've tried it in my life that it's both like um a great little hack but on the other hand, it's kind of like humbling because it's, it shows me how, uh, you know, like determine, um, you know, how much I'm driven by my like subconscious, uh, uh, you know, uh, desires and longings and um, in my environment. You know, like you say, if the cookie's there, I'll just eat it. So, uh, but I'm, I'm wondering, like, still just when I get my head around, um, say, if somebody was like, oh, yeah, I don't eat, eat healthy. I want to eat healthy. um How you might recommend they start to make that transition? Would would it involve in some way a conversation about your desire? You know, like what do you what do you really want in your life? Um, Because you know, you said that tapped into coaching, and I think um, I know in my own life uh, that once I've there are these these transition points where it's like I evolve, and and with that evolution comes a whole new level of like what's meaningful to me what what's important what and in a sense what do I desire in my life and th- when when that happens suddenly I make choices that involve um, saying no to things that that in, um, in some ways that diet's a good word like they're less uh, nutritious but in the short term more immediately rewarding and I start choosing different things and so would you apply that same principle here you know somebody wants to uh, like, what, why? Yeah, yeah, you're really asking them, like, what do you desire? And then it, building structures out from there.
1: It's, it's, a, it's a very, very good question. And here's where I think it's really important to be precise with language. Right. Because uh, I don't consider that long-term desire to be quite desire. I can t- consider that to be more vision. This is where I want to go. Um, in a great vision, but it doesn't tap into the dopamine or drip reward system in, in exactly the same way. Now, vision is exceptionally important, and and getting that vision correct. And when I work with a client, the first thing I do is we get the vision out there so that we know what we're aiming for. And it's and it's a vision. It's not a vision of going to the gym three times and and eating healthy food. It's a vision of eating delicious food and being active in my life and living this life. So like getting that vision right is really, really important and getting in a way so that I can tap into the desire system in the short run is, is important. And so for me, that long term desire, even though we use the word desire and it's an appropriate use of the word, that's not how I use that word. Um, that's a vision statement. Desire is the mechanism that helps us get there on the day-to-day basis.
0: No, that's super helpful. That's that's a fantastic distinction for me. So then, yeah, basically you're really looking at like this, you know, very immediate um, day-to-day kind of um, uh, structure or, or like how, how we can set up our environment. Like what, what so what, um, yeah, could you, and then I think you know, we could look at an example like, I know we, we mentioned like procrastination before we started recording, uh, but we just stay with the food example. Uh, what would be some more uh, ways that you might help someone to make healthy choices? Is it, is it all about environment stuck in the cupboards with the right foods? Um, so, so,
1: I mean, th- there's, just so, there's just so many ways. And in the end, they're also really, really simple. Like it's, 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 it's both. But so the main thing is first getting the intellectual framework right. So um, I, I offer a three week workshop where we actually dive into the system that is responsible for guiding us towards nutrition. We dive into the information that our senses can provide us about our food. We dive into how that ties into the dopaminergic reward system and how we learn new delicious foods and look at the science behind how the system that we already have to identify what is healthy works. So that, to me, getting the intellectual framework, and I'm, I'm kind of an intellectual dude, dude, but getting the intellectual framework right is really important to start out with, um, and then that opens up all all the other different avenues. But in the end, it's 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 so painfully simple as well, right? Uh, if you if you uh, look at, I mean, right now I'm doing this in a coaching environment. When I so I just look at people and I help people with their everyday things. What in this environment? It's very specific and very to the person oriented, right? It depends what cooking class is in their environment. It depends, maybe they even have a mom that likes to cook, or maybe they have a friend that loves to cook, maybe. And it's all about building those structures so that desire can learn. And that learning happens in the background. You don't even know it's happening. But what it, it can profoundly change what you eat over a course of time. And and so it's both really simple and, and incredibly complex all at the same time.
0: Yeah. yeah. No. Uh, sorry, I yeah, yeah no no wanna. no go for it. Uh, I want to. Then it makes me curious about you know you said that learning's going on in the background. Um, what what is that learning like? Is it is it you know uh, neuroplasticity? Is it you know could you say could you un- like unpack that learning a bit more? What's yeah. going on so, inside of us?
1: So an average grocery store has forty five thousand items. You can't possibly pay attention to 45,000 items. It's, it's, It's not humanly possible. And so what you will do when you go into a grocery store is you will focus on the items that you know have released dopamine in the past. And you can test this for yourself. You can go into a grocery store and you can look at how someone else shops what they pay attention to is completely different than what you pay attention to.
0: It's me and my wife go, you know, it's the, yeah, even there's difference there, yeah.
1: Even differences there. And so the learning that we're talking about is the learning of what you pay attention to. And it is so profound, this learning, that you don't even know it's happened. And so each one of us lives in an entirely different reality based on where we know we, get, we can get our dopamine from. So in that desire pleasure learning loop that I think we mentioned at the beginning of, of the show, um, there's a cue followed by an action, followed by a reward, followed by the learning of the cue. And the cue is just whatever that is in your environment. So we look at the, the world through a profoundly functional lens. And it's a lens that we learn through this dopaminergic reward system. And so literally what you pay attention to will change, which is your reality will change as you do these new things. And, and, and it, it, it sounds like it, it, it's profound, but if you take an Italian cooking class, next time you go, go to the grocery store, you're going to pay attention to slightly different foods. It's, it's just going to happen. And you don't even know that happens. And so the more we can engage that kind of learning, then health becomes as easy as doing exactly what you want to do.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. And, and so just to, so you said that the cue, then the cue would be either the cake or the apple, is that right? And then yes, uh, there would be the action of bu- buying the cake or the apple, eating it. Uh, and then the reward would be feeling the dopamine. And then, the, then that would reinforce that next time I see that cue again. So it's kind of like a, yeah, like a habit loop, like we said. Yeah,
1: it's a habit loop, right? So you, I go into the grocery store. What do I look for? I look. Hey, how good is how good do the oranges look? How good do the apples look? How good does this look? How does how does that look? And I'll look for it, and I'll I'll, I'll try and find the best version of that. But someone else going into a grocery store might have an entirely different experience they might not even notice that there's even oranges in that grocery store right like right. <laughs> they that that it, and so it, it's yeah exactly it's that loop that that engages this learning that is so profound we don't even know what's happening
0: right and um if we could like you know we uh, focused a lot on food in our conversation today, and I can see like there's a really practical application there. But I also get super curious about how can you extract the learning there from food and apply it to other areas of our life. For example, uh, you know we 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 already mentioned this example of procrastination. So um, yeah, I don't know if you got any initial thoughts on that, but I'd love to explore that that same desire loop but applied to something like a procrastination because I know a lot of people listening I mean uh, we all suffer from procrastination and coaches are often helping clients to get into action around the things that matter to them most so yeah absolutely
1: so um, sometimes I I, I have to laugh because like this the dopaminergic reward system depends on where you get your numbers from, but it's responsible for a large majority of our actions. I would say anywhere in the 90, 95% range, it is driving a lot of what we do. And so understanding how this system works has impacts on all areas of life, period. Uh, Now, uh, and I explore at the Desire Clinic, I explore a lot of these areas. And how do you actually tap into this system in the various different ways? How do you do it with exercise? How do you do it with procrastination? Um, I don't treat addictions per se, uh, because especially extreme addictions, because the uh, it gets more complex because that system is seriously hijacked. But with sl- sl- smaller addictions, that's something that I can deal with if it's not overtaking your life, right? And so this system has a huge impact on basically every area of life and diving into how this system works in these various areas is super fascinating. And I can't wait to get the procrastination. So let's dive right in.
0: Yeah. So, (laughs) yeah. Um, Well then where, where would you, how would you start to work with someone who came in and said, you know, I I want to write that book or uh, build a website or, you know, I want to get out and find clients uh, whatever it is, you know, and then like, and I just keep, um, you know, I sit in my desk in the morning and then I'm surfing the web and then I start cleaning my house, you know. <laughs> Suddenly I found that a desire to clean the house. I don't know where that came from. So, yeah, 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 one... yeah no, it's a... <laughs> absolutely. And it, it, it's wonderful how the desire system
1: can reroute you into all kinds of different ways.
0: <laughs> right, right. Yeah. yeah, fix that shelf that, you know, I've been uh, seven months. in the... Yeah. Absolutely. So yeah, what would you start with somebody? Uh, yeah, I, I, know, with, I know the educational that... process. Yeah, would be probably yes. important. But yeah,
1: yeah. So let, let's start. Let's start with let, let's think about procrastination. And so uh, the first thing is people tend to blame themselves. If only I was more motivated, then I would write the book then I would do this. The same pattern applies to diet. If only I was a more motivated, I would eat healthier. Same applies to exercise. If only, I, if only I was a different person, then I would not procrastinate. And the solution to me not procrastinating is me becoming a different person and <laughs> like me not being such a bad person is basically, is basically how it feels, right? Uh, And so the the first step is to get out of that mindset and to start to look at the structures that cause people to procrastinate. Because when the dopaminergic reward system, so dopamine releases, dopamine, when it gets released, your motivation levels go up. When you know something will release dopamine, you will be highly motivated to pursue that thing. And we know this in drug addictions, but we also know this in in every aspect of life. I know it from a 94-year-old dancer friend of mine who is legally blind, and she is profoundly motivated to go dancing five days a week. And that's because dancing releases dopamine. And so the... First step is to stop blaming yourself. Second step is how do we tap into this dopaminergic reward system so that it can guide us towards the things that it needs to do? And so we can look at very practical ways of doing that. So one of the main reasons why people procrastinate is when they give themselves too much time for something that shouldn't take that amount of time. I see this in students all the time. They say say they'll start to, uh, they'll start the essay on Monday, but really it's only due on Friday. And then they end up procrastinating Monday to Thursday and start writing on Thursday and go to the Friday, right? And the fact that they were going to procrastinate Monday to Thursday was very predictable. They, They did it throughout their entire university career. And so one way to reduce procrastination is to give yourself less time to do the thing. And then What that will do is because your desire system is your unconscious priority setting system, your your cerebral cortex is your more conscious one. And so you want to understand what your unconscious one is going to do and what your conscious one wants to do and start to work with them so that they can work together as opposed to fighting each other. Because that student, what he's experiencing is Monday to Thursday, conscious is fighting unconscious. Right. Thursday, Friday, conscious and unconscious are together because all of a sudden, oh yeah, this is actually important and they actually get it done. Right. And so how do you get those two aligned? So that's one example of how to apply this is give yourself less time, but there's even, there's, there's much more ways of tapping into the system. Um, another really, so the dopaminergic reward system likes immediate rewards. Now there's a bit of a, misnomer or a thought that immediate rewards are always bad for the long-term. That's not true. Sometimes immediate rewards can have beneficial long-term effects. And so if someone is struggling with writing a book, which is a bigger project, it's really, really, really important to break it down into the much smaller, smaller rewarding parts. What are the things that will actually release dopamine? And what are the things that will actually drive you forward? Because the desire system will be skeptical that you'll finish that book in the long run, that it'll lead to all the success that you think it will lead, that do. it will be skeptical and be rightly skeptical of that. But if it can focus on the rewards along the process, that can drive you throughout the whole process. And then motivation is built into the structures, as opposed to something that you externally have to put on top of it. Does that make some amount of sense, and we can dive it does. deeper?
0: It No, yeah. it actually does because uh, that I experience that when I when I get through my to do list, yeah, um, that you know I can be like, okay, I've got to start doing stuff. But once I get into doing the stuff that I've broken down into small tasks, it's actually quite pleasant because I'm like, oh, I just got that thing done, and actually it did take me less time than I thought it would be. In my like in my conscious mind I was like oh it was some amorphous long task but actually I've done it in 15 minutes and so but yeah I get like a hit and then I notice if I get a few of those I can almost get into a kind of pleasant flow state with getting small tasks done so it does make sense and 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 that's all we're talking about is pleasant flow state
1: right like it's
0: it's we're
1: talking about pleasant flow state where your desire system and your cerebral cortex are working in unison and and you can do remarkably complex and interesting things and be highly motivated to do those things when those things are working together. And just to go back to the dancer friend who's 94 and blind and dancing, like if you think of the complexity of tasks that she has to solve in a day to get to dancing, she has to take her public she takes the public bus because she can no longer drive. She has to order that public bus, she has to do all of those things. But it never even crosses her mind not to do those things because her drive is so strong. And of course, going dancing has long-term health benefits and all of that. And by, Yeah, exactly. If it's broken down into the individual parts that engage the desire system, motivation is built into the process and it doesn't have to be externally applied. And the more you understand, the more little tricks and tools. We're just talking broad, broad scope here. Like the more you dig into how this all works, the more interesting it gets.
0: Right. Could could we, could we play around with that a bit more? So, um, you know, with procrastination, we've played around with two, two examples there. Um, so I'm wondering if there's anything else that comes to mind, you know, that, um, that might, uh, help unlock someone's like I'm thinking. I'm almost thinking now of like, um, I mean, I, I I don't know if this would fit, but if I have a nice environment that that's like pleasurable to work in, uh, you know, like a nice desk or something like that, uh, would that potentially be something that could? A, you know, a nice
1: desk. Uh, I, I, another another great one is a colleague saying, "Hey, good work."
0: <laughs> right
1: yeah <laughs> that, that, that's an immediate hit of dopamine right like um that's social approval we're a social species uh that's why the like button has taken off on every social media network is because we think it's good for our survival when we get likes uh it gets that little dopamine hit and engages us and I, so this dopamine system is so powerful that like yeah so and it, I, and and of, of course yeah of course, companies are constantly trying to get to release dopamine because then we'll use their products more, right? right? And so there's a drive towards that. And so if we can build that into our day-to-day life so that we get the dopamine from the things that actually matter to us. Yeah. So getting, nice. getting a colleague to review it would be a good one. Uh, it's, it's all common sense stuff, but like, so another, another one, let's go into another one that I, that I often play with. And it all has to do with the relationship between conscious and unconscious, so I consider the cerebral cortex to be our conscious priority setting system and the desire system to be the unconscious priority setting system. Sometimes there are certain tasks that the desire system won't fully understand. If you want to get those tasks done, you've got to give the conscious system at least a fighting chance. One of the ways to do that is to actually put it in your schedule. So... And and this goes back to, if you look at the research on SMART goals, specific, measurable, attainable, putting it in a specific part of your schedule just gives your conscious mind a fighting chance. Whether or not you do it or then depends on how it taps into the desire at that specific moment. But knowing what the strengths of that system are versus the strengths of the other system just gives you one more tool. And again, it's a simple example.
0: Right yeah um, so um what what could we i like the idea about lining up the conscious and unconscious uh, aspects of us um what what's the principle you know maybe there's an underlying principle that that in doing that you know like what do we need to look for when we're trying to do that you gave that example of yeah you you know now it's visible uh so the conscious mind is going to see it in the diary um yeah like i'm just wondering if there's a a principle or a way we can know when we're lining them up. So the thing that releases
1: dopamine the most reliable reliably is pleasure. So if it gives you pleasure, that's a good place to start. Now, pleasure isn't the only thing that releases dopamine. There's also reward, which is this more general sense of reward. So like when a friend gives you a compliment, do you describe that as pleasure or do you describe that as... What what exactly do you describe that as? But that releases dopamine as well. Uh, And so anything that gives you pleasure and reward will affect your actions in the future in ways that you don't even realize. Mm. And so that's the general principle that you're looking for. You're looking for things that give you pleasure and reward. And the more that that pleasure and reward is tied into your long-term vision, the more those two get into alignment. And, and, and the silly thing is we think of pleasure and reward as these bad things. They're, they're, they fundamentally drive us as humans. And if we can tap into the benefits of, those, of,
0: of this system, like you can do anything. You know, interestingly that, you know, I think a lot of spiritual traditions have actually uh, identified this, uh, you know, pleasure, pain, pain principle at the heart of being human and try to perhaps, um, you know, tame it or overcome it. So, you know, in some sense we're playing in that, that realm here, maybe in a more tantric side of things where we're learning to consciously play with our desires.
1: Oh man, pleasure and, and, and pleasure has gotten a bad rap from all areas of life. Um, Like, so my dad's a spiritual teacher uh, and so I'm I'm well, familiar with with the spiritual uh end uh of things and and i think people get a lot of value from it um but if if you look closer like even in the christian tradition uh there's the calvinist tradition but then there's also the there's a sect of christians that believe in pursuing pleasure uh and and so yeah uh, there's this, and I, I think the reason why desire and pleasure get a bad rap is because they, they do bring us to this place where we're no longer fully in control. There's this underlying system that is driving our actions, and that's scary. Uh, and one way to do that is to say that that system is bad, and we need more cerebral cortex, we need more willpower, and we need, we need all of those things. Another way is to be like, hey, let's, let's try and understand how the system works and work with it, because it's actually there to try and guide us towards what is good for us, even if it does make mistakes. And so I just like the second way way better, because... Because it actually engages who we are as human beings, as opposed to this abstract version that we think we should be.
0: Yeah, 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 me too. And it also feels much more workable, uh, pleasurable. <laughs> so, um,
1: I, yeah. I think you'll achieve more. You'll have a better life. You'll, <laughs> yeah. you'll, you'll actually, yeah. Like I, I just think it's, I think it's just more effective, more enjoyable, more. And that's not to take anything away from engaging in spiritual pursuits and doing all of those things, but we're talking about specific behavior change. And I just think we need to engage the desire system to make that happen.
0: Well, and also I think you can leverage those same, the same principle in, you know, for example, meditation practice. I'm pretty sure that's why I I kept up my meditation practice for years was because I also found it enjoyable. You know, there were certainly moments where it wasn't and, uh, sometimes it brought up stuff that I had to process that wasn't enjoyable, but overall, you know, it created uh, like joy, a subtle joy or pleasure, clarity. Yeah, Absolutely. So focus. Yeah.
1: And, and, and so for me, like, cause my dad was a spiritual teacher. The last thing I ever wanted to do was meditate um, because, you know, like, it, and, and so uh, for me, but that doesn't mean like, I know the scientific benefits of meditation. I know how good it is. And, and I I knew I was slightly wrong, but for me, I get those mindful moments. uh, Drinking a cup of tea because my cup of tea is different every day because it's steeped at different temperatures, it's steeped for slightly different times, maybe I'm using a different tea, maybe I'm using, and the subtlety and complexity of reality that I can discover if I'm just paying attention is beautiful. And, and if I do that in the morning, some people would call it meditation. Um, Some people would call it something else. I don't, I don't care what you call it. But if I do that in the morning, my day is better throughout most of the day. And so there's so many different ways. And so for me, that one is a more direct. For me personally, that was a more direct. Tap into the desire system than the meditation was, but it's it's the same same ballpark.
0: Yeah, yeah. right. Um, there, is there anything we haven't talked about? You know, that you think we need to include in our conversation now related to this topic of of you know the whole topic of our conversation.
1: Yeah, it's, it's a good question. Um, I,
0: I mean, I just generally,
1: like the general message or the general thing is just that if motivating yourself isn't inherent in the process, if you're finding it really difficult to motivate yourself, that's not your fault. And thinking of it as your fault regardless of what area in life this is, is usually not that useful an approach to actually getting yourself motivated. And to start to think of ways of how do you move from that world of self-blame to one where you're embracing your full humanity and everything that drives you and stop blaming yourself and start actually working on these things that's the general picture i think we covered it already
0: but mm. yeah yeah I, th- I think that's a that's probably a beautiful place to bring our conversation to a close and um i actually think it's a it's a really important message you know as we as we learn that's my general sense like as we learn more and more uh, from neuroscience about how we work there's a sense of compassion that can arise Uh, I've seen this in spiritual communities too where an understanding of trauma has actually led people to stop chastising themselves for responding in certain ways in certain experiences in their life. And it feels the same way here. It's like, actually, we can become much more compassionate and skillful in the process. So I I, I think it's a really beautiful message. Yeah,
1: Yeah, and there's this myth that that behavior change is hard. Hmm. And it's it's not. Like there's there's behavior change that we've all participated in the last 10, 15 years. We never even intended to. It, it's affected us to the point where we spend two or three hours a day doing this thing. Meanwhile, meanwhile, uh we can't get people to exercise for 15 minutes a day. And and you know what I'm talking about, the two or three hours a day. It's it's the cell phone, right? Like mm-hmm. it, it just taps into the de- desire system. And and we're trying to not do it, right? And so there's this myth that this is all really, really hard. And it's not that there aren't things that are hard in the process of getting there. There's all kinds of ways that things can be hard in the process. And boy, do I want to dive into that hardness as well, if that's what's coming up. Mm. But in the long run, the easier we make it on ourselves, the better. Mm. And the more powerful the change actually is. Actually, uh,
0: it makes me think of what might be on the horizon i i've forgotten the guy's name who speaks a lot about um their social network uh you know facebook and things and how our phones have um being designed to hijack our dopamine system um damn anyway but uh i'm just it makes me think about positive uh you know in the in, the, in line with our conversation today the kind of technology that might arise that could take us in positive directions through working with our dopamine system so yeah absolutely the the
1: the the i, I just heard of a credit card company that because because as a company the way you make money is to tap in this dopamine reward system this is what drives uh human behavior that's why you you see food commercials that show you the burger that's why you see everyone is trying to tap into this dopamine system which over time has meant that this dopaminergic reward system is getting hijacked more and more so by companies to, for their end. And so like, there is a big structural problem uh, at heart here and to fight it as an individual is, is, is difficult. And the more we can get together and do this as a society and find ways to tap into how we actually work. I'm all for that. If anyone has any ideas they want to run by me, they can, they can book a free consultation on my website Uh, or anything like that if you have any ideas whatsoever run them by me I love talking about this stuff and the more we can get a whole community on board the happier I am
0: yeah yeah nice nice um yeah that's cool that's cool I I actually my wish is that some people listening might do that you know um um, well I want to just say uh I just want to say thank you really a lot for Uh, your passion in this subject because um, on the one hand, I'm like, as you talk about like the adverts and the burgers and things where I'm going like, Oh, my, my conscious mind can go like, Oh yeah. Yeah. And actually, you know, so, so I'm just thinking out loud here, but um, I do think I've trained myself to eat healthy, you know? And so those burger adverts don't always work on me, but what I'm getting at is, unconsciously they are also working on it you know, well, without and, even knowing and, it so
1: and we've been fighting burger ads with an fda food guide mm. like it's it, it's so silly if you think about it here we have this in industry spending four billion dollar or four to eight billion i think it is in the u.s i might have that number wrong trying to convince us to eat unhealthy foods and meanwhile we have and tapping into our desire system. And meanwhile, on the other side, we have a bunch of intellectuals talking to a part of our brain that doesn't control our actions. Mm-hmm. And we wonder why we're eating more and more unhealthily. And it's because we haven't, let's say at least fat fight burger ads with Apple ads, right? Like, let's at least try and tap into the desire system a little bit when we're yeah. trying to get towards a, a healthy diet. Because, and, and it's getting better. It's getting better, but like right. the USDA food guide never mentions deliciousness once hmm. which is which is crazy if you think about it that's how we actually decide what to, all, all of those things and so it's getting better i'm seeing changes all over the place but the more we can actually tap into this towards positive change the bigger that change is going to be in all of those things
0: hmm.
1: yeah nice
0: nice um well where can we find out more about your work as well do you want to tell us what what you're up to So my website is www.thedesireclinic.com.
1: I already mentioned, I love talking to people about desire. So if you have any questions, just book a consultation. There's still room in my calendar right now. Um, So that's one thing. Uh, I offer a bunch of workshops where uh, I have a, a whole workshop on deliciousness and nutrition. I have a workshop on exercise and motivation. I have a workshop. I have a whole bunch of workshops that you can, I've got my desire letter. And then my website itself. Um, what I'm currently building, which I'm super stoked on, uh, and this is all available for free, is I'm developing a desire library, and that's where I dive into the science of desire. In this conversation, we kind of built it up throughout the conversation there. I go from the very basics, build it right up, and then I look at the various different ways to apply that. Uh, that's all available for free on my website, uh, www.thedesireclinic.com. That's kind of your entry point.
0: Mm, thanks so much, Kiyosh. Thank you. Here we are. We're at the end of the podcast. Just a heads up again if you're not on our mailing list and you want to stay in the loop about other things we create, then head to coachesrising.com. Put your name in the sign up box there. You'll also find some of our other offerings, our online trainings for coaches there. And just want to end by wishing you well, and I'll see you again next time.